Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The definition for me would be you have your vision and once you reach that vision or exceed that vision, that would be an obvious description of success. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by an extraordinary businesswoman. She joined her family business at the age of 19 for work experience, and she later went on to transform the entire business. She faced an all-male board when she pitched her idea to make the lingerie and sex shop and summers more female-focused. In the 80s, the conversation and the taboo around sex was very different to today, especially for women. She was told that it would never work because women are not interested in sex. Well, since then, she has grown the business to one of the biggest brands on the high street. And in 2017, she was named on the Sunday Times Rich List as the 16th wealthiest female entrepreneur. She is a business mentor who is empowering women to be confident leaders in the boardroom and in the bedroom. Welcome to the studio, Jacqueline Gold. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming in. I'm so happy to have you here in the studio. And it's so clear to me, you know, reading about your career journey that you have had to, you've had to be incredibly bold and confident right from the start. And I have no doubt that you have faced many hurdles along the way. So I'd love to talk to you today about how you've grown such such a successful retail business, what advice you would give to any other women in business, your approach when it comes to risk-taking and work ethic, and the rise of feminism and how it has changed the game for all of us. So... First up, can you tell us about how you had the confidence, I guess, at such a young age, you know, 19, 20 years old, to start a revolution? And what was the response like at that time? Wow. It's, I, love, I love looking back at, at that period because it, it was so revolutionary. And one of the things I'm really proud of is, you know, we've, and Summers, we've driven this sort of whole culture change. Um, and I've been, you know, doing this for 35 years. So, um, and it's interesting what you said in, in your introduction, because when I, you know, as a young child, I was actually very shy, painfully shy. And I saw this opportunity. Um, I was always a hard worker and I, I was just invited to, um, uh, it was like a Tupperware style party. Um, by chance, they knew that I was doing work experience at Ann Summers and said, you know, why don't you do Ann Summers parties? And I just thought this was a great idea. And I think I was so fo- focused on that and I felt so passionate about the idea 
whilst I was painfully shy, you know, you that isn't something you're born with. I think that, you know, with courage, which is really what led me, um, your confidence starts to build. And then the more you push yourself, as I did, um, the more your confidence grows. And I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't describe myself as shy now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And so at that time, I guess, as we said, it was very revolutionary. I think in both aspects, one in the sense of, you know, empowering women to buy lingerie and to, you know, go into a shop where they felt comfortable to buy lingerie and sex toys. But also, I guess, the, the party element, as you said, because that wasn't really something that I guess brands were taking their product outside of a store into a different environment and allowing people to kind of shop in a different way. So... Absolutely. I mean, you could not buy sexy underwear on the high street like you can today. You could only buy it in a sex shop and the designs were designed by men. And you can imagine that it was sort of like red baby dolls with harsh black lace edging mm. and just something that, goodness, we would never, yeah. we would never want to Women wear. Women wouldn't choose, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's an interesting thing that, you know, men obviously they think it's all visionary with men. Mm. If they see what they like, they think, yes, I want my partner or, or wife to be in that. Whereas I think for us, it's much more about how it makes us feel. Mm. Um, but it, 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 I remember my very first party, because obviously I tried out a few myself, and uh, I remember passing around the toys. So I did the lingerie first, and then I passed around the toys. And, um, you know, people were like passing it along like it was a hot potato. <laughs> Um, but curious. Embarrassed, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think it was two things. I think they were very curious, excited, but genuinely nervous at the same time. Mm. But they wanted more of it. And at the beginning, toys didn't really sell, but people were coming to the parties because they wanted to see the toys. Mm. Um, and it almost became an induction into the brand. So whereas people wouldn't have previously gone into stores, this was like a safe place, women only. And then it was like, right, okay, I'm going to take my my husband into store or my my partner into store and and that's sort of really how the brand evolved yeah amazing and it's obviously continued to do so and i think you know for some high street brands especially in the last you know uh, I guess the last decade of the digital era, you know, a lot of we've seen a lot of big high street brands, you know, like really struggle and 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 go and disappear. But Anne Summers is is still there and seems to be, you know, um, going from strength to strength. So I think it's amazing that it was revolutionary then and and kind of started what it did. Um, and something that you often talk about is networking. I've heard you talk about that in previous interviews, and I think that it's particularly important. Uh, for women in business to create a strong network and to really utilise that. I think women are incredibly powerful when they unite together. So did you have a network supporting you at that time? And do you have any female role models or mentors along the way? So it was very different then, you know, mentoring today, you know, that's great. Everybody wants to encourage entrepreneurs. And I didn't really have the same opportunity. And I remember going, I think I was uh, San Diego or somewhere like that and I noticed that the Americans had a totally didn't, different approach to business and wanted to encourage each other and support each other whereas here in the UK uh, you know 30 years ago it, it wasn't that same vibe you didn't mm. have programs then like um, The Apprentice or Dragon's Den um, so Obviously, the fact that that is very evident today, I think, is a really positive thing. And I, if I have one regret, it is that I never network my socks off because when you network, and I know sometimes it can be difficult for women, you know, they can, we can often feel uh, a bit intimidated by that situation, particularly if it's dominated by men. But it's just you, you can walk into that situation and it has the, the potential to change your life or to change your business. Um, 
So it's something that I would really encourage, mm. uh, really encourage women to do. Even if you, you know, engage with, if you're going to go to a networking event, engage with, with somebody that you want to meet up with beforehand. So you've actually broken the ice and you've got a purpose when you're there. Um, I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, and actually, yeah, I think social media has actually allowed us to reach people, um, you know, through whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, you can kind of, as you said, kind of do a little bit of your homework and find out like who's going to be in the room and like maybe start a conversation yeah. before. Well, I do, I, I also do this competition, I don't know if you know, called WOW on Twitter, mm -hmm. where I recognise my top three uh, female entrepreneurs each week. Yeah. And I love, I love this. It's been running now for about seven years. But it's interesting, again, to see how that's evolved. We've got a Facebook page. Um, these women are amazing. You know, they're, they're running fantastic businesses. They're trading with each other. They're supporting each other. And, you know, that's another example of how networking is so important. Mm. And do you think it's changed? Because I think, I don't know, I feel like, traditionally and like back in the day women were always kind of put against one another and it was more that kind of thing of like women can't work together in teams you know women are bitchy it's got to be like you know the, the the boss was almost like painted as this like you know like a devil's wears prada kind of like bitch kind of vibe whereas i think now it's definitely more of like a yeah women together collaboration is key and like the messaging just seems to be different now um, i think that's generally true but i do think it depends on the culture of the business that you're in right so um absolutely you know, women should be supporting each other. And when you've got a culture which is probably, you know, possibly a little bit, if you do find you're in a culture where it's possibly a bit boys club, we need to support each other even more. We need to have each other's back. Um, and I think that's, you know, when women go into the boardroom, I mean, it, a lot of this goes back to how, you know, social conditioning, how, you know, we bring our children up. You know, I've I've yeah. always believed, you know, we, there's this tendency that we bring boys up to be brave and girls to be perfect. Right. And I think we're always, you know, I see so women, so many women who are always striving to be perfect, which, of course, is impossible. Mm. But it's not surprising that the time that you, you reach the boardroom or, or a guy re reaches the boardroom that he expects uh, the woman in the room to pour the tea. You know, that's we, we've got to stand up to that. That's got to change. And I think that. From a CEO's perspective, what I want to see in the boardroom, I want to see people that contribute. So the key is, and I'm going off piste a bit here, okay. but, but, you know, I think the key is for women that are keen, that are ambitious and are keen to get on. It's about how you contribute. There's no point in going into a board meeting or into a meeting and sit there mute. Don't worry about risking whether somebody's going to like your suggestion or your idea or not. As a CEO, I remember the people um, that have something to say. Mm, yes, I love that. Use your voice. Brilliant. And so when it comes to the topic of sex and, you know, we touched on with the with the sex toys and the shop and people's kind of um, nervousness or whatever around that. I think it's certainly changed a lot over the last decade. But do you think there is still a stigma and a taboo about women talking about sex? I mean, it's really changed. It's really changed. I mean, you only have to watch programmes uh, like Love Island, which is obviously just finished mm. and to see that. You know, the women on there love talking about their sex lives. And I think women of all ages and, and you know what, even, you know, people that are, are maybe just had a baby or going through the menopause or have had relationship issues, you know, every woman deserves to have a good sex life and we should never deprive ourselves of that.
Mm, I think it always used to just be portrayed as, well, I don't know, that men could talk about sex. Um, whereas, again, I think women were kind of almost like villainized or like even like, you know, thinking back to like the 80s and 90s, women like Madonna, who were kind of, you know, showcasing like a confident, uh, confidence within their, their bodies and within sex. And it was kind of on one hand, they were applauded, but then they were also like demonized on the other hand. Yeah, I mean, I remember the whole, I mean, the whole Madonna era was was fascinating and she was so, sort of ahead of her time, really. Mm. Um, but I do think that's changed. And I think that, you know, when you talk about, you know, boundaries have changed. When you think about the Me Too campaign, for example, yeah. as awful as that was, actually, it was a good thing because mm. now I think women, you know, there are new boundaries. Women feel that they can talk about their sexuality openly, but at the same time, if boundaries are crossed, mm. that they will be listened to and they will be believed. And I think that is so important. And that is something very positive to take from that, you know, awful period. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's empowered a lot of people, for sure. I think the success of TV shows like Sex and the City and films like Fifty Shades of Grey just goes to show how popular the topic is. I think the Sex and the City film, the first one, grossed, I think it was reported at four... $415 million. So apparently women do care about sex. So have you seen this reflected, this kind of success um, and and topic within your stores and within your consumers? I mean, of, absolutely, women care about sex. Um, I think women today care about a lot of things. They compare about sustainability. They can care about, you know, yes, they do want to have an adventurous sex life. They do want to experiment, but they also care about how it's made, what's the quality, will it last? Mm. So all of these things, you know, it's. I think it's a, a lot more to do with our sexual well-being. Um, and I definitely think the culture has changed and I like I like to think that Anne Summers has played a part, part in that. Mm. Yeah, I think any conversation, essentially, that allows people to kind of learn from others, hear other people's experiences and, and kind of contribute, I think can only be a good thing, really, because I think before, you know, even at school, you know, when you think back to doing sex education and it's like so, yeah, almost embarrassing and nobody, and you don't really know, I don't know, when, you know, the, the girls kind of talk and the boys kind of talk. And I think actually, if people did have more information and more kind of, I guess, safe information as well, you you know, it would just be, uh, I guess, safer and just more empowering for, for, for everyone. I, I absolutely agree. And I think I think sex education is another, you know, another topic entirely mm. and one that uh, would be interesting to pursue because I think it's very difficult to, uh, you know, as parents to know how to guide your children. And at the same time, you know, they're going to be curious mm. um, and do it in an appropriate in an appropriate way. Yeah. And I guess when I say safe, I think I think. It's definitely, you know, we're not we're not trying to glamorise, you know, like I said about Sex and City, of course, that's an extreme. But I think I've seen mothers, you know, talking online on Instagram about, you know, talking to their daughters about sex and talking to their young boys about sex and actually having the conversation. And I don't know, it's weird, it's quite divisive online. Some people are like, yes, absolutely. And then others are like, no way, you know, it's too it's too much too soon, it's too young. And, you know, I can imagine that over, over time you've probably faced criticism yourself or the brand has. And I saw an interview that you did with Channel 4 News and they posed the question about you know, do you think we've gone too far the other way now? So are young people now being subject to over-sexualisation? And, you know, most mainstream magazines, TV shows, I think many brands will talk about sex or sexualisation within their brand messaging. So what do you think? Do you think it could also be potentially detrimental if it's, like, just too much? Well, of course, I think, you know, I think it's important that there's a balance because I'm a mother of a 10-year-old daughter. Mm. So uh, naturally... Um, you know, it's it's 
it is important that there are controls, but I think that's probably where it, where parenting comes in, and people will have different views. I mean, for example, I heard the other day that you know somebody in my daughter Scarlett's class uh, watches Love Island with with her mother. I I wouldn't do that, you know. So I think, and others would say yes, that's yeah. fine, um, and I'm I'm certainly not judging, but that that is. Uh, you know, as parents, we have to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some interesting debates, you know, recently. And, you know, you sometimes you can you could go one way or the other. But I think, you know, we have to do what we think is right for our children and go with our own gut feeling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think parenting is a big thing. But what about like the, I guess, just like the mainstream and the media? And like, I think if magazines and, um, you know, culture art, pop stars you know like tv and um, even like display windows of stores i think it's kind of everywhere and so sometimes it's hard for people or that some people would say you know well how can you police that you know like everything it just seems to be for example some magazines i think parents might not even realize they just think it's like oh i don't know like a fashion or a gossip magazine but actually there's really kind of like quite detailed graphic sexual content in a lot of those do you know what i mean yeah i think you're right and i think that also as a nation we are we are much more uh, likely to stand up to things that we find are, are, are not acceptable and obviously business people whether you're an editor or a retailer you know have to make um, make a decision and I think you know the customer the reader whatever it is whatever that person is mm -hmm. you know I think that um, leaders of businesses all you know have to listen to their customers and and take their direction which is something that we've always done you know we have a you know um an area in our store where we display our toys which we wouldn't allow children to go into but if a mum walks in with a pram and she's got a baby in the pram yeah, and wants to take it, the baby in that area that's you know the mother's decision so yeah. i think it's a, it's just about being responsible um and a acting in a responsible way mm. Yes, and I want to talk to you about business. Obviously, you've had an incredible business career and you received a, a CBE for service to entrepreneurship and also support a number of charities, as well as being vice president of the Children's Trust. And you work as a mentor and business advisor. And you mentioned that you also have a young daughter. Jacqueline, you've achieved so much. You must be so busy. And I often, when I talk to people about success, they often you know people have a particular milestone or an achievement in mind so i'd love to know what do you believe to be the definition of success well i guess first of all success isn't a given you know you're always working at it you know it's not like something you you think oh i've reached that i i stop now but i guess you know the defin the definition for me would be you have your vision and once you reach that vision or exceed that vision it, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you're always looking to exceed. That that would be an obvious um, description of success. Having said that, you just mentioned my CBE there, <laughs> and it it has to be the highlight of my career. Mm. Um, it was so unexpected, and when you're actually recognised for things that you feel so passionate about, that feels really, really special. And for me, female empowerment is something that's very close to my heart. Um, obviously entrepreneurship and social enterprise are important too but um, you know to I, I for the last decade I've been working very hard at helping to encourage women build their confidence um, support them in the workplace so to be recognized for that is is very special indeed yeah congratulations this is amazing incredible and do you think you ever I guess you know you said as an entrepreneur when you set uh, a bar for example and then you exceed it do you ever feel that like okay 
I've accomplished this. This is what success is. Or do you always think you move the bar higher? Well, you definitely move the bar bar higher. I mean, and that for me is the thrill of of running a business is there's always something, you know, there's always something new to go after. And, you know, the the landscape, the, the retail landscape is changing all the time. You know, we were talking early before we started about the whole digital world and yeah. the role that social media plays, you know, is incredible. I, I read today that 74% of our um, purchasing decisions are influenced by social media. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's amazing. So you can... You can understand why, uh, you know, retailers are having to completely rethink the way that they communicate with their customer. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I can believe that, you know, when I think about my own habits as a consumer and I think about how do I shop or how do I, you know, source new new brands. And that's definitely how I do it is through social media. It's through following people who I know talk about a specific topic. And if, for example, I'm going away on holiday and I wanted to get some stuff, I know that I, I know the people who I would type in and I would look and I'd see and I'd tap you know they've got like swipe up here or tap what they're wearing and you can find what you want without having to go yeah I guess I'm yeah, just thinking about how I shop and I can like, absolutely believe that 74% that seems kind of normal but I think for some business owners like do you think that everybody kind of when they hear those statistics it's funny I think sometimes people are like oh no that that's not our business or that's not our do you know what I mean that's the next generation and I feel like if they kind of reject that idea or they're kind of I guess too slow to change they'll get left behind well do so at your peril because mm. absolutely, you know, we we have to invest in digital and what the younger generations are doing. More so than any, you know, that for me as 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 a leader, the younger the younger generation are the most important customers because they are they are the ones that are driving what happens in the future. Mm. Um you know, we as leaders are just following what the what young people want to do, how they want to communicate, how they want to shop, what flexibility they want. Um, so I, th- I think, and I think it's true, I think there are a lot of leaders that have neglected that space. Uh, a lot of brands, I mean, I, I remember speaking on a on a Twitter panel a couple of years ago uh, with some other uh, heads of, of businesses, and I was quite surprised at how reluctant they were to get involved in social media. And I, I mean, something... Of course, you know, you're nervous when you first do it. But I remember years ago when I started on Twitter, you know, I just suddenly thought, my God, for the f- for the first time, here I am being able to engage with my customers 24-7, 365 days a year. Mm. And not just my customers, but also my colleagues. And that's, uh, that is so powerful. Mm. Yeah, exactly. If you utilize that, it's direct, as you said, like maybe it didn't exist before. And I know that there is a conversation now around people's data and obviously, but as you said, really, if you, as a business or a brand, it's funny how, why some people are so reluctant to change. You know what I mean? It's like they just resist it at all costs. Um, but retail is a tough industry and you've worked incredibly hard for a long time to, to grow the business to what it is today so i'd really love to hear your thoughts on work ethic do you think that we should strive for a work-life balance does that even exist can women have it all or is the reality that you know you just really do need to grind and just work harder if you want to succeed well i guess it's yes to both in a way because yes you do have to work hard there is no you know it's very rare that you'll be hugely successful uh with a business idea or a career that lands on your lap without without any effort I think you know most people realize that um but I equally think work-life balance is important um and you know that takes that takes some practice 
But we, you know, our own self-care is very important. Mm. You know, we have to look after ourselves um, and we have to know, you know, we have to set ourselves boundaries. But it, it's it's really getting that balance right. And I guess it depends, you know, how hungry you are for success. You know, what is your support network like? Mm. Um, what's the culture if you're in a business? You know, how supportive are they? Um, I mean, for me, particularly, you know, I... I for me, the most important thing is the people in our business. You know, I can't be successful. My business can't be successful unless I've got the right people. And I feel it's really important to remove the barriers that stand in the way of those people being able to work for me mm. and, you know, uh, get gratification from what they're doing and feel satisfied and motivated. So I think we have a responsibility as leaders to remove those barriers. Yeah, awesome. I love it when you're talking about barriers because it's something I've been thinking about myself recently, both personally and professionally. And I think it's something that really takes confidence. Do you know what I mean? To kind of go, this is something that I am willing to do. This is something that I'm not. And I think having difficult conversations, I just think I used to shy away from that because I'd be like, oh no, I just want to say, okay, fine. When actually like it's quite hard to say, no, like this is my boundary. I'm not doing that or, or whatever. And do you think it changes um, along the journey? So maybe at the beginning, you might have to, you know, work all the hours, do all the things, go to every, you know, networker mix, like do everything yourself. And then maybe I think I have this idea that as you go further up the ladder, you're then able to maybe delegate more. But I guess there's probably still more responsibility that comes then. So do you think it changes the work-life balance throughout the journey? It definitely changes. I mean, I remember... You know, when I was younger, I had this a ginormous suit uh, briefcase. In fact, it was like a pilot's case. I used, and you know, I think you, when you when you're younger, you are uh, obviously you're ambitious, but you feel you're the only person that can do, you know, these these tasks, and you get sort of confused with what's important and what's really urgent, and how much time you spend on things. That's just a learning curve. And I think that you, you know, there's two things for me, I think time management and actually uh, taking on projects in bite-sized pieces, I think is important. Um, but if, equally, I think our own self-belief, you know, I think, dare I say it, particularly women, I think often play down their success. They play down their uh, achievements. They need multiple validation when they're offered, you know, a job opportunity or, a, or a, a, you know, new responsibility. And if we're not careful, you know, women can very easily talk themselves out of a new role or, an, uh, or a new job um, or a pay rise, you know, and it's so, you know, it's so important that you, one of the tips, if, if you don't mind me saying, one of the tips I, I, one of the things I did when I was a lot younger that I would say to your listeners is send yourself an email of all the things that you've achieved, mm. uh, both professionally and personally. And if you're going into an important meeting where you're going to ask for a pay rise or you're, you know, you're perhaps doing, uh, contributing at a meeting for the first time, you know, that can be very, very, you know, make you feel very, very nervous. But if you read back that email to yourself and just remind yourself how awesome you are. It's amazing how that can really lift you and make you feel so much more confident. And make sure you keep adding to this because it's a it's a very a very powerful tool to use. Yeah, I love that idea. I think that's brilliant. And I think we're often it's quite easy to forget things that you've done along the way, you know? And I think if you are to, you know, I think words have power. I always say that if you write things down and commit it to paper or, you know, email, it's really powerful. So yeah, I, I think I encourage you all to do that. I might try it myself.
So let's talk about the power hour. So on this show, I love to hear about, you know, why people do what they do, how they do it. And I like to find out more about their daily habits in relation to success, health, happiness, and in particular, their morning routine. So many high achievers attribute some of their success to a daily practice or a morning routine. So Jacqueline, I'd love to know, what time do you get up in the morning and what's the first hour of your day like? Okay, so I get up at 6.30. I walk the dogs. I then um, prep my meals for the day because I think it's really important. Um, I like to do that so that because I like to eat healthily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually have a because of time. I I have one of these um, saunas, but it's one. It's like a cocoon, almost like a sleeping bag. Okay. Um, and I do an, a, an infrared sauna and meditate at the same time for fifteen minutes. I do that every day. Wow, every morning. And then I get myself ready. Wow, that's a first for the power hour. I love that. So an infrared sauna. And what are the benefits of that? Uh, there's so many health benefits. I mean, obviously, I've had some health challenges over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it does make you reevaluate, reprioritize. Yeah. Um, and certainly having that healthy routine in the morning, you know, it makes me feel good. It sets me up for the day. I obviously have my juice that I, I do as well for breakfast. Um and uh, yeah, well, it's clearly working it makes for me you, feel good because you look incredible, <laughs> and I'm glad that you're Thank you're you. well now. And when you have your meditation in the morning, that 15 minutes, is it a meditation that you do on your own? Do you listen to any guided meditation? I'm not that good. I just listen to the Headspace, which mm. I think is very good. Yeah, and I know there's other good ones out there, but yeah. I think uh, you know if it's made easy for you, and it it does help relax me and set me up for the day Mm. and have you how long have you done this morning routine is it something quite new have you always had a conscious morning routine you know throughout all your career and everything I've really been doing this routine since my health issues which um unfortunately I had breast cancer diagnosed in 2016 um so I've been doing it for about two years now but you don't wait till you get ill you know these are really good habits to to embrace and um you know, I'm I'm a, a great fan of of self care and looking after yourself. Yeah, yeah. I often say as well that the physical aspects and the physical health benefits are great, but it's also for me now such so, so just as beneficial for my mental health. I think starting my day in a way that is you know curated and specific for me, I know I'm gonna yeah just start the day feeling better, having more clarity and focus and less distraction and less kind of frantic. I think because my working day, from as I'm sure for many people, it's always different. I'm always trying to do a million things. I'm always busy, and I just find that yeah later on in the day it gets a bit manic. Yes, I know what you mean, um, which is why I love, you know, I've, I've always been a cat person, actually. I got two dogs or two shih tzus recently. Yeah. Um, but actually going out, I think if you do come home and you, you've had a really manic day, just going out for half an hour. Um, I was doing it without the dogs at first and just enjoying nature mm. and, and just, you know, having a little downtime. Um, and then I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got to get a dog. <laughs> You're doing the dog walking but without so, the dog. <laughs> so Jacqueline, do you have um, a challenge for the listeners? Often I ask the guests to give the listeners something they could do this week, something they could try maybe for the first time. It could be in the power hour or any time in the day. But yeah, something that they could try an action this week. I would really like your listeners to write themselves an email of all the things that they have achieved, big and small, whether it be in business or uh, in their personal life. And don't just say you're going to do it. I really want you to do this. I want you to um, 
write about all of your qualities and then read it back to yourself and see how powerful that is. Save it and the next time you either have a confidence wobble or you're going into a big meeting, I want you to read it back to yourself. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you today. Before I ask you my closing question, tell everyone where they can find you online and can you remind us about your Twitter? Uh, wow. My Twitter handle is Jacqueline underscore gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my Instagram handle is Jacqueline gold CBE. Hopefully I've got that right. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, please come and um, sign up for my wow competition. If you're running your own business, it doesn't matter whether it's part time or, uh, you know, something that you've only just started or been doing a long while. But um, I would love to, you know, see your tweets. Tell me what your business is doing, your website so I can take a look. And then each week I vote, I vote for my top three. I announce my top three. Um, and then I profile them, retweet them. And we also do, uh, every year I do a mentoring lunch at the IV. I have a learning day down at our head office for um, the top overall winners. And uh, yeah, it would be great to, to see more entries. Awesome. Definitely check that out and get involved. Okay, so my closing question, which I ask to every guest every week, is all about time. I believe that time is the most valuable thing that we have. You can't get you can get your money back, but you can never get your time back. And I do really, really appreciate you giving us an hour of your time today. So thank you. So my question is, what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you? Well, um, I would simply say that I've learned to only do the things I feel really passionate about, um, because I think it's very easy to get pulled in so many directions um you know we if you're whether you're ambitious or not you know most of us try we want to please people we're people pleasers uh, a lot of the time and I think that you have to you know that's what I always ask myself I get asked to do so many things and I think is this something that I feel like I would be passionate about absolutely I want to be on Adrian's show um (laughs) So I think that's the key. If you do that and you love what you do, you'll be great at it. Um, and you, you know, how can you be? How can you feel stressed if you're doing things that you love? Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and thank you everyone for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the Power Hour. As always, you can rate and review us on iTunes, and don't forget to check out Jacqueline on Twitter as well. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. See ya. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.